0: this is the coach brew show this is also the world's shortest podcast intro
1: welcome everybody to the coach brew podcast uh, we are talking about experiences in this episode uh, i i wish i could remember the episode number i don't know i do know that it is brought to you by chinupchestout.com which is my clothing brand Fall collection dropped recently at the time of this recording we're about to release our winter collection You can go to chinupchestout.com and check that out Uh, more importantly uh, Today's episode features a very special guest. I know we rarely do this. It's usually a monologue It's usually just me driving in my truck uh, giving you 15 20 minutes of wisdom They use that term very loosely but today um We have, I guess, the, his official title is my brother from another mother. We have Billy Colston, who is, uh, he prefers, he identifies, his pronouns are his Royal Majesty, and he identifies, and if you've ever been to his office, you've seen the plate on the door, his business cards, it does say his Royal Majesty. But technically speaking, he is the GM of RTC. He's the general manager of the Rivera Telephone Company. Now, that is in Rivera, Texas, which is spelled Riviera. I still haven't wrapped my mind around this, but is pronounced Rivera. Billy will explain that to everyone, uh, but the reason that we brought him on besides his charm, intellect, and good looks is because I had the opportunity to visit with his team during my book tour of South Texas. And I I got to hear about how they're really transforming what they're doing at the phone company. And they're going from being a service provider to becoming more of an experience company. And I think there's a lot of savvy and wisdom in that. We're gonna unpack that with Billy. And uh, without further ado, I present you with His Royal Majesty, Billy Colson, welcome to the show
0: thanks john appreciate you having me it did take you a lot longer to get to charm good looks and intellect than i would have preferred but we'll we'll kind of work through that maybe we can we can hack our way out of this this paper sack that we've gotten ourselves into
1: well i think anytime someone uses hack and my podcast in the same sentence they're on the you know they're on the right track so
0: i like i like where we're going with this
1: i mean i'm usually referred to as a no talent hack but you know we'll we're, we're just we'll just work started. our way through that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, I think we're in minute two right now. So just give it time. Yeah. yeah.
1: So Billy, uh, it was fabulous to visit with you and your team
0: well, and
1: you. I came away very impressed with the, uh, the engagement, the quality of their ideas, uh, how they're on the very much on the same page as a team, but also, um, kind of had their own flavor or their own spin to how they envision things moving forward. And I, I, you know, before we dive into all that, give us kind of the, the backstory on uh, the Rivera telephone company, as it was, you know, a phone company back in the day and just sort of kind of give us the timeline leading up to now.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to go quick. So you've, you've got, you've got me kind of, of, wanting to do the story of why it's River, rivera and not riviera justice
1: let's do that first
0: so i really yeah i don't want i don't want everybody to be just sitting there waiting on bated breath to like what what is the answer to this question so um during the settling of the town back in the early 1900s the original land prospector was a gentleman uh, named Fedor coke from the midwest and i chicago somewhere somewhere in illinois and the the vision that he had was to create this Riviera like destination in South Texas.
1: The Redneck Riviera, if you
0: will. The Redneck Riviera, correct? Well actually, I think that one goes that one goes more Bayous, but that's a whole nother podcast, right? But he, he tried to go with where we want to recreate the French Riviera, but in Texas. So that's that's where it started. Now, as, as the proximity to the Mexican border goes, we, we actually are situated about 90 miles from the Mexican border. And there is a surname in, in the Hispanic culture of Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A. So when the, the whole resort town thing didn't work out because three hurricanes and a fire in four years has a tendency to take beach resorts, crumble them up and throw them away in the floorboard of your truck. It did that very thing. So we ended up with a lot of farming in this community and that brought in a lot of migrant farmers. Ergo, we had a lot of, of Mexico influence into South Texas, immigrant influence. So Riviera, Riviera magically transformed into Riviera.
1: Like Geraldo.
0: Like Geraldo, right. And, and much like Geraldo during the Al Capone's bank vault thing, Uh, the resort deal didn't quite work out the way that it was planned. So then we decided, you know what, we're going to stick with Vera because one of these days there's a journalist that's going to go digging for Al Capone's vault and that's also not going to work out. Bingo. So you tie those, those little points of string together and um, there we go. So So for
1: for everyone trying to uh, kind of use their mind uh, wrap their mind around exactly where in texas south texas uh rivera is um uh, correct me if i'm wrong you're about 45 minutes south along the coast from corpus christi kingsville
0: correct okay correct. corpus christi not kingsville um, Okay. so so yeah as as the as the coast what the typically is the best way to explain it is as we sit on the coast as it makes a little cute little curvy sea looking thing on the on the Texas Gulf Coast between Brownsville which is a an international port of entry and Corpus Christi if you were to travel up the coast uh, we we're about equidistant between Corpus Christi and and Brownsville probably faded a little bit more towards Corpus Christi but if I, if I start having to go into kilometers on that it gets confusing so yeah
1: yeah we won't go into like that or we're gps not, we're not going to But what I will say is uh, during my visit down there, uh, everyone, I fell in love with the area. It's beautiful. I think it's a well-kept secret. They probably want to keep it that way. Much like uh, we up here in Maine don't want people visiting because they might fall in love and move here. Um, Rivera is very much the same way. Really uh, hospitable, friendly, charming people. Beautiful scenery um it's right on the water like you you can't beat it uh, where you're located and just uh you know the the quality of life country living um now that brings me to a whole other subject in regards to like location country living phone company how you know that came to be when the town came to be and you know your sort of uh company's footprint in the surrounding area billy Sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about that as we dive into this.
0: Okay, cool. So, uh, great segue because I like how we we just established where we are. Now we're going to do the what we are. So in the in the first third of the of the twentieth century, my great grandmother Irma was a migrant farmer and was considered the fastest box builder in the West. They used to build the crates out of out of wood, and this woman could whoop together a box. And I don't know that she was that legendary when she told the story, she was legendary. And since she was the only one there, she got to tell it that she was legendary. So she was a migrant uh, farmer, vegetable, packing, handling. And she and her family, parents, siblings would travel around and follow the crops coming out of the ground because obviously those follow the seasons. They follow the weather. So everywhere from kind of the upper Gulf Coast over to Central Texas and then back down to South Texas, they would make a circuit. And so, so great grandma ended up in Rivera in this vegetable uh, growing agricultural commerce region, and met my great grandfather. They got married. They opened up a shop, and long and short, they bought the phone company exchange from the guy that owned the hardware store, and they owned and operated that together. Until the extramarital stuff that my great grandfather was involved in um, required his belongings to be placed on the front lawn and for her to kick him out, and um, so she ran it as a single mom during the Depression era, and kind of this the most books.
1: diplomatic description I have ever heard for That's, that scenario. You like that? Wow.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. So- I hope everyone
1: followed that. That is so diplomatic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, um, one of those, you know, you always, you always hear the the expression, I wish I was a fly on the wall. I wish they had GoPro cameras back then because the, the story that I have is like, wow, this, this is an incredibly, incredibly unfortunate situation that my great grandfather was in. And she made her impression because, and he passed before I was born, but I mean, he didn't get to stop running until he got to pretty much East Texas. So
1: there was
0: a, there was a good six and a half hours. And we're talking six and a half hours of 2022 drive time. It took a lot longer back in the thirties and forties. Right. So, so great grandma ran, ran the thing by herself as a single mom. uh, And through the, through the forties and into the early fifties, she got remarried. Well, long and short, it was a telephone exchange. Uh, John, you, when you were in the office, you saw the, the switchboard that she used to operate. It's on display. You know, this thing's a great big wooden box. And, and I'm sure everybody's at least seen them in an old retro where you pull the cord, and you stick it in and connect the calls. And there's the big speaker and microphone thing. Um, but great grandma used to run that out of her home on the very site where our office currently resides. So that poor little switchboard has lived a long life and it's moved from when it started until it's current resting place. It's moved the best we can tell by, by what we've done, maybe about 30 feet from where, from where it started. So um,
1: that explains why it's still in phenomenal shape,
0: right? It didn't have to travel that much. It's kind of like when you pack your your couch and you have to move four times, it's all broke up. So that's another good point. Yes. So the, uh, the telephone company has been in this family since 1937 and, and I'm, I'm, it's good that you kind of point out that it's a telephone company, is what it was in the '70s, and it's what it still says on my shirt and my business card. The reality of it is, uh, as as the market has changed, there's there's a whole new emerging group of users of communications devices, whether that be, you know, their wireless, handheld, laptops, computers, tablets. Um, I say computers, but effectively, you know, who doesn't have a smartphone. So our job, as we're still a telephone company, you know, we, we still identify as a telephone company. There's a lot more to it than we don't sit around waiting for, please, please phone ring so that somebody will order another rotary phone to go into the kitchen. Because quite honestly, that's, that's. Still the technology that got us to where we're at, but communications has has taken on a whole new a whole new role. So well, you can I mean, you can
1: never have too many rotary telephones in your kitchen, Billy. You would think
0: that, but because we're I don't know, some people would say pack rats. You want to talk about a diplomatic description. Some people call it hoarders, some people call it pack rats. I've got crates and crates and crates of powder blue and avocado green and goldenrod rotary phones that Somebody said long, long ago, somebody older and deader than me said, don't get rid of those. They're going to be worth something one of these days. And I, I apparently caught the bug and I, I as well can't get rid of rotary phones because there's still crates of them stored in a warehouse. It's kind of like in the Indiana Jones warehouse where they put the art. Imagine, imagine that, but with cardboard boxes instead of wooden crates. And someone
1: like blows the dust off of them and That's discovers it. them.
0: That's it. So we're thinking that hopefully one of these days, somebody's like, oh, my God, here they are. Right. We've been looking. There's maps. But um, so so coming from the the old model, which is we are a monopoly. If you want to get a phone 30, 40 years ago, uh, we're the only game in town. So that mentality that was that was bred into a lot of us that have been in this industry for and myself, I've been here full time, you know, 23, 24 years now that being bred into you from growing up in this you're you're a monopoly you you have to be a responsible business was was the mantra back then right you you have a duty to keep their phone lines connected somebody could have to call the fire department or the ambulance or the police so that's your that's your duty that was your motivation was that you are a utility and yep. you have this responsibility to be good stewards because if you don't the utilities commission will say hey you need to do your job better but at the end of the day that was the intrinsic value in this is that man look at look at this responsibility that we have in our hands it wasn't it wasn't generation of income it wasn't it wasn't you know make the stock price higher it was make the customers happy through doing exactly what was laid out for you and there was there was a, a script it said this is what you'll do this is this is how much you'll charge to do it and I don't quite go back so far as pre extensions and extensions being for, for you younger crowd that follows, John used to be the phone company owned the cable that went to your house, the wire that went to your phone and your phone. And, and that was just the way that it was. So if there was something wrong with your phone, you call the phone company and we would come and repair or replace your phone. Deregulation came in and we were able to say, Oh my gosh, look at this. We can not only have a phone in the kitchen or in the hallway you know those old houses with that little cove that nobody knows what it's for that was where the phone was it was in the middle of the house yeah ac so you could hear it b so everybody didn't have to run so far and then we became a put a phone in the kitchen put a phone in the living room put a phone in the bathroom put a phone in the laundry room and growing up in this business there were i, I never knew any different like, yeah there's phones everywhere so sorry i ramble a little well, bit i want
1: to yeah i want to go back to something you mentioned uh you know basically uh you reported to the utilities commission and um, you had to keep the customer happy to kind of keep the utilities commission at bay. Not yep. you personally, but like every phone company at that right. point in time, Right. which begs the question who's your real customer? Exactly. Yeah, the utility commission, really. Exactly. Not, exactly. you know, Bob and Sally who live, you know, right. at 123 Main Street on the corner there and have a phone line in their house. Yep. Um. And, and, you know, that dynamic has all changed. And, yes. you know, as we kind of fast forward to, you know, I, I think this is what's surprised me was um, you talk about like cord cutting in the household from cable, mm-hmm. you know, we cord cut from cable before we got rid of our landline, Yes. before we ever cord cut from our cell phone, um, which are from our um, physical landline in our house. Right. Which kind of amazed me looking back. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's simultaneously you're dealing with two different types of cord cutting sure. and you're trying to navigate all that. And you have, um, you know, kind of this uh, it, it's probably ingrained in the DNA of a company like yours where you're the only show in town, you're a monopoly, you are a utility that people absolutely need well they have to come to you yes you know how much do you have to woo them cater to them um you know provide exceptional service because you know they could have uh wandering eyes but those eyes can't wander anywhere else you know they can have one out the door but the alternative to using you was like morse code
0: smoke signals maybe i don't know like pretty much so let me ask you a question, though. You did yeah, unwind you, all that, right? Uh, absolutely. So so let me just ask you a, a real quick question. I know it's, it's not my podcast. You're supposed to be asking the questions here. But I'm I done love it. Anyway. it. You're going
1: to turn the tables <laughs> on the whole interview? This yeah, is going to be bit. like that scene in Step Brothers where they're wearing the tuxedos. That's and it. And they go for the job interview. That's and a,
0: like, We're going to interview now, you now. Yeah, exactly. Do you, or do you deserve me as your interviewee? So, now, so you, you mentioned that you cut the cord with cable. Did you just, did you guys just sit down and have a family meeting and say, okay, we are going to stop watching stuff on TV. We're cutting the cord to cable. Or did you find an alternative?
1: Uh, We realized that we're paying more for all this stuff, all these channels that nobody in our house watched. Like what do we really watch? You know, my kids, their idea of TV is watching uh, something on their iPad or their phone. That's what they call watching TV. Sure. and They're not alone in that regard. No. Um, you know, my wife doesn't watch much TV, so it, it didn't matter if we cut the cord to her. The only thing I cared about being able to maintain was I'm a huge college football fan. Right. And, and I love just being able to watch college football on Saturday afternoons. There you
0: go.
1: So we just upgraded our Internet, which we were already paying for. And we got YouTube TV.
0: Right. So so to my to my point and where it, where it's it's germane to me in this monopoly environment that I'm in is if they're going to cut away from Revere telephone company from our service, from our Internet service or a telephone service, are they going to find another way to do so? Are they going to because, look, I, I don't know if if the listeners know, but the smartphones, there's a lot of different things that it does. You know, it's kind of like the guy that had the watch that told the barometric pressure and there was a compass in it and it told you your heart rate. And all of this other, like, what what time is it? I don't know, right? Because it's just so packed with with different features. So I'm really, just as a segue, I'm really glad that whenever I said, did y'all sit down and have a meeting and say, we're not doing it? Because I really, I didn't know if you did that or not. So if you decided, you know what? I really want to pull from some of the Amish roots that I grew up around in Pennsylvania. And we just decided that, that would have taken a completely different turn to this conversation. And I would have been kind of stuck here with my pants down. So thank you for playing into where you knew I was going. That said, there's got to be another option out there for your customers, for your clients. And that's what we have to always be prepared for, is if you're going to cut away from us, from our service, can you get Internet from your smartphone? Yes, you can. Um, But what can we do? What can we do to make that customer experience a better one to where you don't want to put your eggs all in that basket? So that's been our challenge.
1: And, you know, that's been your opportunity, too, because mm-hmm. as you guys evolve, like, you know, we, we've gone from really being like, you know, our economy has has morphed into several different things. We used to yes. produce things, then we imported things, you know, then it became, yes. you know, more less of a product society and more of a service oriented society. And, and now I think we've gotten away from, you know, services. And people are moving to wanting experiences. We talked before the show started like millennials and Gen Z value experiences over products. They're gonna spend their disposable income on experiences. you know, whether that's traveling somewhere or just things they enjoy locally. They'll do that over you know buying a, you know a nice sports car or you know upgrading things uh in terms of where they live and what have you um clothing whatever it is but you have such an opportunity there to really uh build a moat around your business as i like to say okay. through the you know through the experience and the service you provide and i'm just curious um you know as you've had to really evolve you know evolve or perish as they say sure. you know, in business um how have you made that transition and gotten people uh who work there to think differently about you know like people aren't there's no requirement
0: to use our utility right uh, mo- mostly i've i've gone with a combination of brainwashing and threats of physical harm that works the bet no, mountain so the the biggest the biggest challenge that we have when we onboard when we have new employees. And when you were here a couple of weeks ago, I I think I shared with you that, you know, some of the pleasant surprises that came from that from that short session is one of the most vocal that we had in there had been at the company for four days. And is that Rick or James or Rick James? It was not Rick James. It was Randy that was sitting right next to Rick James. Ah. I think he was in Rick James group. Or right next to Rick James group. But <laughs> the kid had been there for 4 days and i guess he just thought hey I, you know we're we're supposed to participate we're supposed to because usually when when we have one of these get togethers unless we start sprinkling alcohol on the crowd, people are pretty confined and to themselves so hey well that's the that,
1: that was the coach brew experience you you got to witness me bringing out the best in
0: everyone and i tell he you great humanitarian that i am billy it's not even something that can be learned it's it's more of in something that's an innate quality in you that just these people that they three of them were mutes before you showed up and here we are and they're they can't shut them up now so how how did we bridge that and how we we had to kind of of work that Rubik's cube is at, at least for me personally was to make them part of the solution and to get them invested in in the reward in this now you can sit there and all day long. Thank them every day. You know, it's, it's like the, the kindergarten teacher who's really bucking the system because of the way that the world is turned. And they say, don't have physical contact with the kids, you know, give them a give them a high five in the air across the room. You've got those teachers that no, I'm, I'm going to hug these children because they need to yep. feel love. Right. OK. And, and those are the teachers that that you want on your team who are going to say, OK, tell you what, give me an opportunity to prove you wrong. I'm gonna get positive results out of this. So getting them, getting our team invested in, this is the solution. This is the path that we all want to go. And this is why this path is gonna be good. And collectively, after you please a customer, now you've got a customer for life. Now you've got somebody that's gonna be so incredibly loyal to, they'll follow you into the pits of hell because when you have a problem, invariably, this is the problem with the internet, John. And and in case some of your listeners don't know, sometimes things break. When you've got an infinitely, unattainably, uncountable number of connections that make the internet, sometimes all of those moving parts are not working at the same time. As many fail-safes, as many backups, as many backup systems as we've built into this thing over the years that it's evolved into this, the version of it that it is now, sometimes things break. And, and sometimes,
1: sometimes when, you, when you make a mistake, you have absolutely. an opportunity to fix something that actually cements even more customer loyalty. Absolutely. And so that, yeah. that, was the
0: second, that was the second part of that is that sometimes things break and sometimes you get lucky and it's somebody else's fault. Most of the time when somebody pushes commit or pushes yes, do this, maybe a step before and they route something wrong and the whole entire internet stops working. Then you have to unpack that. If you've built that relationship here on the back end, it makes it so much easier to go back to them with your hat in your hand and say, we had a problem with the system. We had a problem with the network. We are working on it. And when you can build that trust and they know, oh, y'all are working on it, you know about it. Okay, cool. They'll leave you alone.
1: Yeah,
0: They won't call the PUC. They won't complain against, well, this thing's always broken. You have that open line of communication with them. So, and I'm answering your question about how did you get your team that point and i think that the the simple and the short answer is do i involve them in every single solution that we need to find no i i don't go and ask uh somebody in customer service what their peer over in in the technician wing should get for a raise we don't probably take it that far but we we want to know what do we need to do what does management need to do from management level to make your world easier to make your job easier put yourself in the customer's shoes like like you said to the to the staff you know put yourself on the front row you're you're in the cheap seats bring yourself to that front row yep. that's in my opinion that's the only way that you can get people to buy into this is you have to make them feel heard you have to make them feel seen from building your team and i've i've got to you know whenever i do staffing here john I've I've got a real bad habit of being as discouraging as I can with prospective employees. Like, you know, I, I know you wanna you want to work here because you put in a job application, but let me tell you, let me tell you what it's really like. This is not the easiest place in the world to work. I have an extremely high, almost unattainable expectation for myself. And that translates to the people that I work with. Yeah. And I think that if you're honest with your people up front, look, I'm going I'm gonna want the best out of you. And I'm going to want your full potential, and I want nothing short of your full potential. And and I think that being kind of transparent with your team is is a huge benefit.
1: And your customers deserve that. I
0: think that they expect it. Yeah. And I think that if if your mind's in the right place, they absolutely deserve it. And and again, that's just been that's been our mantra. Is no, they they absolutely 100% do deserve it. They have that to is. be treated like they're important.
1: So you don't need to name names, but to give uh, uh, the audience some perspective, you went from not having any competition, essentially having a monopoly, to having you know how many different competitors in your industry, in your market, that all of a sudden you guys now have to contend with.
0: Um, If and again, that's that's a loaded question. Depending on, is it just any way to communicate? Are we talking internet? Are we talking phone internet?
1: Phone phone, internet cable. So, So.
0: Full full uh, picnic basket, uh, there are currently in a community with about 700 people in town, there are 11 other options that you can go to to get phone and internet other than River Telephone Company. And
1: I think that's important for people to hear, not just to give them some context about why um, you're so passionate about moving from this being a transaction to an experience for customers, yes. but also because there are a lot of other people yeah. um, who, you know, let's say they're business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they've got as many vendors they're competing against in, in their industry, in their market, and they're trying to figure out how can I do it differently? How can I do it better? Right. And that kind of leads me to my next question is, uh, how are you doing it differently? And how are you doing it better? Because you, when you have that much competition, uh it can't so you can't run a profitable business that's sustainable purely on price alone 100% you, have, right. you have to find a way to do it better yes. uh, so that price you do not become commoditized and it doesn't go to quote the lowest bidder so to speak right. every time
0: right so so there's two things that you that you touched on there that i I absolutely love it when when it comes up are you the lowest bidder and it is it is law here at this organization that I don't ever want to get the bid because we're the lowest bidder. Yep. Now, incidentally, we might be just because if it's if it's an organ if it's a business down the road and the next closest person physically located closest person is in San Antonio. Then travel time is going to chew into you still got to pay those technicians the same amount. You know, yep. we clients want a discount when it's just travel time, but employees are not willing to voluntarily say, Hey, I'm not really doing anything. So, can you just pay me a third of what you're going to pay me? Because that seems fair. So, it may incidentally mean that we get it because we're the lowest bidder, but I'm not, I'm not trimming things and I'm more than certainly not going to sacrifice quality to get the job and and try to be the low bid. There's plenty of people out there in the market that are doing that. And that's their business model and more power to them. If that's their business model and they can make it work, then I wish them all the success in the world. So the second, and I kind of went backwards, but the second part of of what you said, how do you effectively, how do you differentiate and how do you become the carrier of choice? there's There's a term in our industry, we're the carrier of last resort. So when, when we go in with the Utilities Commission, under universal service, if, if John, if you're you and your family live at the end of a one-mile-long county road, private road, and you're the only one out there, then it's going to cost you the same exact amount to get universally provided service as it is for the guy that lives the next block away from my central office. It may cost me more to put that in there, but that's how we equalize this. That's, that's why we have things like the USDA involved because they understand the country a little bit better. So all of that said, how do we differentiate our service from those services of the competitors? And it was, it was kind of what you, what you said when, when you did the intro. It is creating that customer experience. It's creating and differentiating our business from what the next guy would do. Because plenty of people will come down and sell you internet. Elon Musk will will send you the stuff. I know we weren't going to mention names, but everybody knows that that Starlink is. I mean, they're mailing stuff to people left and right, yeah. and they're having they're having a lot of success with it. Um, just for fun, I I tried calling Starlink and I asked to speak with Elon. wasn't available. Um, couldn't couldn't get through. And this is actually true. It, it was it was difficult to navigate and try to find a person. As it is in most large businesses. Again, do I fault them sure. for that? No, they have they have access to millions of clients. Um, it's it's been vowed by by my predecessors, and I've I've been very blessed to be able to keep the the tradition alive. When when you call our business, you're going to talk to a live person, unless it's after business hours, because that does get old when when the phone rings at your house. Yeah, because because that was actually the case for a while. But uh, but that said we, we try to retain and maintain that personal touch. And, and one of the things and kind of prep for this, one of the stories that you liked, which I, I like it too, mostly because it's not my story. I just get to recount it on behalf of of my sure. staff. Um, so in this hamlet in South Texas, we're surrounded by a lot of ranch and farmland. Uh, some of that ranch land is used for just running cattle, um, agriculture purposes, but the, High-end hunting lease market where we have clients that'll come in and lease up 25,000 acre pastures to hunt, whitetail deer, nail guy, uh, different, different animals. We had a camp that was in our service area. We provided internet access and telephones too. And in conversations, one of our staff members was there making a repair and a throwaway comment was made by the, the camp manager and the camp owner said, man, do we have to get another TV? Because every year they want to watch college football out at the hunting camp over New Year's. Because we got all the bowl games, right, stacked up. And they come down for like two weeks. Outdoor pavilion. And about every six months, we're, and again, just for perspective, we're located, oh gosh, this camp was probably six or seven miles from the intercoastal waterway. So salt air, it corrodes plastic down here. I mean it's it's horrible. So these guys were talking like every six months, we gotta go to Walmart and get another TV. So guys heard it over and say, like, Do you do you guys you guys need any any help with that? It's like, oh, it's nothing that y'all can help with. It's just we gotta go get another TV. Well, one of the guys that was on site, one of our employees said, Do you want us to find you a TV that you don't have to replace? And he said, What what are you talking about? So they unpack all this. Well, they make outdoor grade TVs. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So on the way back from the site, the guy gets on the phone with me and says, hey, this client wants a TV, but he wants an outdoor TV. And I said, find it. And I said, get him a quote on it. He said, "He didn't even want a quote. He just wants an outdoor grade TV and he wants it to work. And he wants it to work for more than six months. And I said, then stand by it. And if it breaks, get one with a three-year warranty and we'll warranty it for a year and we'll handle the moving it back and forth. So to make the long story short, which I'm terrible at, The guys come in, they order a TV, and we've got a green light from client. I don't care what it costs. Which are the words that you want to hear when you're a service provider? I don't care what it costs. Cool. Which means it it, it does really play on your honesty because you have to say, well, okay, so it's gonna be twenty five thousand. I mean, you gotta you gotta be within reason. So guys came in, we did a straight across the board what we'd have would have marked everything up, and oh, here's the kicker. This was on a Monday. Bowl games start up on Friday, so the TV has to be purchased, sent to Las Vegas, coated with this special. They didn't tell me what was on it because then I would have started doing it. Put back together and shipped. So from Monday afternoon, the thing gets shipped over there. It's coated. It's ready to ship. They overnight it to us. the uh, the the installer the installation and repair crew was standing outside of the office waiting on UPS. UPS showed up at three minutes after four. We rocket a guy down to the gate by 5.20. The guy's TV is on. It's hooked up. They're watching their football. And and here's here's the moral of the story, right? So they got their experience. They got their football. Two years later, the guy decides to get off of the lease. He wasn't going to renew for another 10 years or whatever it was. They had put in, to, and I don't I didn't see the invoices. I'm going to guess they had built buildings. They had put in walk-in coolers. All of that was required to stay, I guess, per their lease agreement. They took to their clothes. They left their buildings, and they took a waterproof TV was the only thing they took away from them. That one was one of those wins that we had. And I think we even said, look, this is a super huge number let's just mark it up 25%. I mean, we're just handling parts here. We'll do straight labor, you know, T and E on that, but we're not going to hit them for, you know, regular retail, 60% markup. That guy moved on, got onto another camp that was just outside of our service area. And we we literally had to reverse reverse auction, negotiate with the poor guy. He wanted us so bad to come over and provide service to him. in in the next territory, we're like, we can't, we, we can't go that far. Our service yeah. doesn't go that far. Well, what will it take for you to plow cable? I mean, no, you're you're missing the point here. So that kind of thing is the very long way to say, you know, you, you have a couple of those experiences with your customers. Now that creates an experience for your staff and for your employees because they get the win. And, they get to be the hero, get, yeah. They get to be the hero, right? So they get to experience that intrinsic value of i mean they did they get paid the the exact same money had they heard that conversation got back in their truck came back home and would have never done anything about it absolutely they would have but guess what they got they got the win and they won that guy for life yep and that's what companies like us that's what we have to do we employ a total of 18 people from the top to the bottom that's our that's our head count here and we serve about 1,600 customers all in, all done. So every single one of those has to be meaningful customers. We have to get them to call us and say, hey, there's something, there's something going on with my TV. Well, we're not TV repair guys, but if it's an internet problem, I can sure fix that for you. So yep. does that mean sometimes you, you walk them through stuff that's outside of your scope? Absolutely. But what it means is, you win these people for life and you provide that kind of experience for them that they won't forget.
1: And I love the example, of the waterproof TV, and, and because that's just such a, uh, it's such a big win. Um, and if you can create a win that big, just by kind of having your radar on and your antenna up listening for like How do we help a client solve a problem? Uh, You can create a much smaller version of that with relative ease. Absolutely. For many, many, many more clients, and then be able to replicate that, you know, across the board. And, and, you know, that is, um, it's really a story of of great companies. Billy is, you know, the Ritz Carlton experience. Yeah. was built on the backbone of doing something just like that. Walt Disney, who everyone thought was absolutely off his rocker, mm-hmm. built an experience company.
0: That's exactly right. And Starbucks is another one that, you know, it, and I uh, mean, you, you really don't know what crowds you're going to get into, because I actually got booed and hissed at a, at a seminar I was at. And I was just quoting a guy. I even cited the guy. He was in the room that, that had this conversation with me. He said, you know, the coffee at Starbucks isn't all that great. No, right? Well, see, now that that was not a popular opinion there cuz there's people that really really love Starbucks. But if you dig into it, do you really love the coffee at Starbucks or do you love the experience at Starbucks? Is it the barista with the nose ring and the purple hair and the dude that's always in there on a laptop that's dressed in kind of semi-professional business attire? I'm fairly sure works for Starbucks. That they just have that guy hanging out in these lounges, but the music, the smell of the place, the seventeen dollars coffee cup that you've only seen in that one Starbucks, it does things to people. and it really makes them want to spend seventeen dollars on a coffee mug. and And I actually, you know when we were when we talked about doing this, John, Walt Disney is one of those i I've only been to Walt Disney World one time whenever I was a kid. And then it was brought up to me, how that that illusion and that experience and that magic happens. And somebody asked me one time, "Have you ever seen him change a light bulb or dump the trash at Walt Disney World?" And I was like, "What? I mean, it's, you, you almost have to have seen that, but you don't see that. You don't you don't see the stuff that they don't want you to see, right? So they they're exactly. gonna put this they're gonna put this screen. And you're right. Did Walt Disney catch catch a lot of flack for it? Because what are you thinking? You're gonna you're gonna lose everything. But he gains so much by, and, by the model.
1: And you bring up a great point. You don't see the things they don't want you to see. They also make sure you always see the things they do want you to see. Yes. And one of my favorite um, stories about that, Billy, is... So if you've ever been... If you're listening to this and you've ever been to the Animal Kingdom, um, you always, during your tour of the Animal Kingdom, you will always see the lion sunbathing out in that field on this big rock. Right. And it doesn't matter how cold it is out. And it doesn't matter how hot it is out on any given day. He is always out there sunbathing on that rock. Is it a real lion? It absolutely is a real lion. This is not like theater. They haven't like artificially reproduced, you know, created some robot lion. But what they did was they made a climate controlled rock. So that when it's cold out, that rock's the only warm thing he gets to lay on. Absolutely. When it's hot out, that rock is the only cool thing that he gets to sunbathe, you know, to uh, relax and sunbathe on. So he always wants to be on that rock and it's in the most visible place along yep. the tour. Yep. But they leave no stone unturned. And, and the point of that story for everyone is you got your own version of that in your business just waiting to be discovered absolutely How do you make sure they see the things you want them to see and they that's, don't see you know all the warts and the blemishes and things you don't want them to see
0: absolutely and I think that's the responsibility of 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 any leadership team in any business is to create and and it's not it's not deceptive to create that illusion but you have to I mean it's it's you have to put your best foot forward so, does everyone have some clutter? Uh, sure, everyone has some clutter. Put it somewhere that's not going to be in view of the people that come in. And if, you, if your installation and repair crew opens the back door of the truck and a bunch of stuff spills out because they look disorganized, what level of trust are you going to have for that person to come into your house and not break the China in the China cabinet when he's trying to get to where the internet plugs into the wall? So all of those things matter. And, and what's, what's interesting is that for, for those people that are in leadership, you know the challenge of trying to explain to a five-week employee or a 36-year employee why it's important for you to keep your workspace tightened, why it's important for your shirt to be tucked in, why it's important for you to be groomed. Why it's important for you not to go into a customer's house with white carpet, white walls, uh, white ceilings, and white everything, with mud on you. You want to instill that confidence in them from that first impression's all you get. So sometimes, and and you know you don't want to be that that manager that said because I said so. You want to explain to them because everything that you do from when you experience that customer by knocking on their door until you say farewell, every bit of that matters.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I could always tell. And it's the old saying: "How you do anything is how you do everything." Excellence in small things is excellence in all things. I could always tell, like if we were going to be playing a really disciplined team when I was coaching, I was a college coach, right? How they lined up, how they would line up for the national anthem. Yep. Were they all in a row? Did every single one of them have their helmet tucked underneath their left arm? Were they all standing there with their feet together, at attention? facing the flag, mm-hmm. like along the sideline, or do they look like just a ragtag band yep. of gypsies who are just kind of in a pile on their side of the field? Yep. You could tell so much from, from these
0: little touch points. Absolutely. Because that discipline is going to translate into if they're disciplined standing there and standing at attention for the pledge of allegiance or for the, for the national Anthem, what are their practices like?
1: Yep. They Cause I guarantee they don't commit a lot of penalties too.
0: Exactly, that well-disciplined yeah. team is going to be a well-coached team and is going to perform at a higher level in general than the guys that are standing there and talking to each other. And John and and I, hundred percent agree with that.
1: And, and to your point, like I'm just thinking back about like how contractors uh, have like come into my house, yeah, and, and like what their trucks look like. I've only ever hired one firm who actually uh, put foot coverings on their shoes before yep. they set foot in my home yep you think about all the electricians plumbers painters yep. general contractors you know uh, appliance delivery people like you like cabinet people you name yep. it handyman yep. all the different people that have come into your home how many of them have ever like been very intentional about making sure yep. they put foot coverings on right for me over the many years of owning several houses one. Yep. Ask me if I still do business with that company today. Absolutely. If
0: you can, absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And one of the first ones I recommend, but yep. uh, you know, it's finding those little things that like they become a competitive advantage because people like I'm telling that story will tell that story about your company as you're listening to this. Absolutely. You know, it's. Uh, I. I just think it's. Um, you know, everyone looks for an advantage with price. Everyone looks for an advantage. You know, in all these obvious places where you can't necessarily create that advantage. Well, anyone can create more loyalty and create more, you know, and more advantageous um, or greater market share through experience.
0: I agree. And I think that you can, you can play the game and you can chase pricing and, and, you know, you, you, at some point you have to, once you check all of these other boxes, John, you have to go back and you have to sanity check because part of that experience you know it's not just one thing not just being nice to people yep my my, my grandparents uh they they've both passed since uh since this but um my, my grandparents used to love going to Vegas love going to Vegas and and my grandfather would would come back and talk about how nice everybody was to him they'd open the doors for him and you know they they remembered his name and then I went with him one time and he was talking about all of his friends that he had made in Vegas, which again, you know, talk about illusion and, and part yeah. of an experience, right? They were doing their jobs. So to turn this thing on its head, though, when I went out there with him, it, it became abundantly clear oh, you tip everybody that you see, uh, you know, it's $20 to open up the door. I would remember your name too, Mr. Colston. I yeah. would remember your children. I would remember where you're from. I would make a special mental note. And and for the old man, it was it was always like those people are just so nice. That's why I like going out there. There's the hook. Yeah. So he was hooked at that point because his experience check boxes were all checked and all of those buckets were full. So at some point, and I'm sure there's another message in there, but like, well, yeah, money talks, right? So at some point, every business is gonna go have to go in and look at okay, are our prices fair? Are they competitive? You can get along so far on that customer experience, but don't ever forget that part of that experience is at the end of the month, when I'm paying my bills, that I experience a shortage in money because I had to pay a telephone company too much for their services, for their goods. So I think everything has to factor in, but let's set all of that aside and let's do a controlled experiment and say, if my competition is going to provide at the same exact amount of money, internet service, phone service, what can I provide for them that some of those big market share players that run ads during the Super Bowl, what can they not do that I can do? There's plenty that they can do that I can't. I can't afford to buy a Super Bowl commercial. But what I can do is I can make every single one of those customers remember where they got that tv that it worked that they ran it for two years solid they would sometimes they would tell me they go out and check it to make sure it still worked because they were just expecting this thing to fail create that experience for the customer and it rippled all the way through my staff and i still get to tell that story and it's been i would say five to six years since that happened and that's what makes you like if you're gonna if you're gonna die on a hill Die on the hill as a as a business owner as a as a manager, die on the hill of we did everything that we could to serve those customers in the best way that we could.
1: And uh, to be part of the fabric of the community you're in is another great way to do that. That sure. you know your bigger competitors can't do. You know they can't be involved with you know sponsoring signage at the ball field or. Right you know, um, donating, maybe it's a gift basket for, you know, the raffle at the church, whatever it is. Sure. Uh, but to be part of the fabric of the community, uh, is a great way, you know, to ingratiate yourself with people and, and all of this that we're talking about, I think we're talking about a really important time, Billy, because, you know, as people get more and more price sensitive during a recession, yes. um, you know, I was talking with a, a client of mine who was mentioning, he's in, uh, he has rental properties, and he's talking about the price of a, like a, a three-way PVC arm,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: uh, twenty-one dollars. Yep. Today, two years ago, it was three dollars. Right. There's and that's twenty-one
0: dollars if you can find them.
1: Yes. Yeah. So people are becoming more and more price sensitive, and yes. are cutting things out of out of their budget. Nice to haves versus want to haves, and you know how you cement that loyalty is more and more important you Know for everyone, and you know, it's the impression you leave, and it doesn't cost anything to say, please, thank you, smile, remember people's names. Um, and, and I think that you know it, it goes such a long way. I remember a bunch of years ago, and this ties in with the whole idea of the recession, and you know, well, it depends on how you define a recession, apparently,
0: these days, but right. what or how does the recession of- identify?
1: Yes. So a bunch of years ago, uh, we took a family vacation, Uh, my father-in-law and his wife, my family, my brother-in-law, his family. uh, Every couple of years, we take a family vacation somewhere. Well, we went to Greece uh, a few years ago and uh, spent a week in Marathon and Athens and a week on the island of Crete. And people ask me or I hear someone say, oh, you know, we'd love to go to Greece. I'm like, don't go. Hmm. Don't go. go somewhere else, find somewhere else to go. And they're like, why? It's beautiful there and all the history. And I'm like, it's not a great experience. Yeah, you get to see, you know, the Coliseum, you get to do a lot of sightseeing. However, like they're the most surly, unfriendly people I've ever met anywhere. I'm not a world traveler, but I've been around. I've been a lot of different places and they wouldn't even like, they wouldn't even smile at you. And they were taking your money at the museum. They wouldn't wow. even say thank you. They barely looked up. Wow. And I just remember uh, we had a tour guide that was taking us around uh, in a 15 passenger van. His name was Stavros and my eight year old daughter at the time couldn't pronounce his name. She kept calling him Starburst. <laughs> but uh, so I was sitting in the front seat riding shotgun with him. And he's like, Hey John, what are your first impressions of, of Greece? this is week one in Ath- Athens and Marathon. right? And I said, honestly? He's like, yeah. I said, um, and this is coming from a New Englander. We're pretty conservative and introverted. And we tend to right. keep our head down and mind our own business up here to a detriment that that's sure. become the stereotype that people in New England are not very friendly. You know? okay. um, yeah. So like from someone who's accustomed to that, like this was that on steroids. And oh, I just wow. said that to him, like, like people aren't very friendly. Do they hate tourists as much as Mainers hate, you know, we call them mass holes, people that travel up from Massachusetts and come up for a week or the weekend uh, to visit Maine in the summer. Right. Like, do, do you guys hate tourists as much as people in Maine do? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I shared that experience. Like, people don't look up and say hi when you pass them on the street. They're not friendly, you know, like. I handed the guy at the museum money, you know, to pay for our family's admission. Yeah. Didn't even look up or say thank you, and he said, "He's like, you know, when the economy collapsed here, uh, it, there, it sent virtually everyone really into a depression, like an emotional, like a psychological oh, wow. depression." Yeah. And um, they've never recovered, and, and they're just, it's really kind of changed the. I don't know, the, the psyche or the persona of, you know, most of the citizens. He's like, you know, I go back and forth between the U.S. and here. I'm not really your typical, you know, Greek citizen. I'm Greek. My family's here. But, like, I get it. I totally understand what you're saying. I see it, too. Huh. And I warn them everywhere I go, like, you keep doing this, and you're going to alienate the visitors, and they won't want to come here. Interesting. And like, that's kind of the macro version of what's probably happening during a recession in a small town, you know, with service providers or, you know, if you sell a product, you know, how are you showing up? You know, are you smiling, saying thank you? Are you being friendly? Because people will have a story to tell. I can't tell you how many people I've told don't, you know, if you go to Greece, go to the island of Crete, they're actually friendly there. Athens Marathon, you know, not at all.
0: You know they're, they're, they're over it. Right. So, and I think that's, that's a really salient point, John is, is you can get locked in. There's other environmental concerns that go on. You know, there's, there's, there's a recession right now. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think that, I think the jury's still out on whether we're in a recession or not. Um, I'll watch the news later and find out. Um, So we, we get wrapped into our own stuff. It's, it's kind of, you know, everybody has things going on in their lives, you know, the the guys having having problems with the wife at home. Don't drag that across the the threshold. Yep. You, you gotta leave And does it does it kind of dehumanize the workforce to do that? Sure, maybe. And and I'm I'm compassionate, but here not too terribly long ago, I was I was talking to one of my managers that was, you know, having a discussion about, about one of the staff members, and it reminded me of the 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 scene in Fugitive with with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, where he's like, I didn't shoot my wife, and Tommy Lee Jones. That's my
1: favorite scene. I talk about that scene all the time. I don't
0: care, right? Right. So, like, he's just on a mission doing his job. So, stay focused on what your priorities are. Uh, My job is to bring this guy back in. I don't care if you shot your wife, or killed your wife, or strangled your wife. I don't care. So brilliant, so simple, and apparently one of those, like, he just. That wasn't the line he made it up, which makes it even totally ad lib. That, yep, right. So that whole thing is all of that to say. There's other environmentals out there. There, there's other stimuli out there that are going to impact staff members. There's other stimuli that, man, you ever walked into a customer's house that's having a bad day? If you've not been in the service industry, you can feel it. Yeah. So what do you have to do to change? that experience for them, that day for them. Now, is that your responsibility? Absolutely not. But are you allowed as a service provider to let their attitude and their sourness get mirrored back at them? About the worst thing in the world that you can do, because all you're going to do is compound the problem. Yep. So I, I love that example of, of, look, that's not my problem. I don't know what's going on with you. Here's here's what I'm here to do. Here's what I'm gonna going to do I'm going to go ahead and get to the finish line on this. And, you know, you may not like what I'm doing. This is the way I'm going to do it. And it's going to be at a top notch because I deserve that. And my business deserves that.
1: They don't call him his royal majesty for nothing, folks.
0: By God. So my, my wife and I did, there was one, one solid correction. I know you walked into my office and you made note of it. My, the little desk placard thing that, you know, usually has your name on it. I actually usually has my name on it. Yes. Most places that I go, it says John Brubaker. You awesome. experience this? It's weird. Um, I'm
1: not looking too carefully.
0: Your radar must not be up for that, but my, my wife got me one one year for Christmas. And instead of saying Billy Colston general manager, something cute, it says evil overlord. And it was a complete ripoff of, of Megamind, the movie Megamind. Right. Yep. So it was like, we, I thought that was funny. So that, there's the official title here. And I've got that one sitting on my, I'm the evil overlord of Revere telephone company. And and I love it because really, and secretly I'm not that evil. So
1: he wears that like a badge of honor folks. <laughs> awesome. Billy, this is a, uh, this is a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear, uh, you know, hear your report back and we'll have you on again to get some other stories and, uh, just kind of discuss the evolution of things there. If someone wants to learn more about you guys, they maybe want to read up on the history, because this is a, uh, a multi-generational family business, really, is what we're talking about. And those are my favorite businesses. Um, where can people find you? And Or maybe they uh, live in your area, uh, they are in your coverage area, and they would like to uh, get some service connected to their home.
0: The quickest and easiest way is to visit us on the interwebs at www.rivnet.com. That is our our home landing page for our parent companies and our sister companies of Gulf Coast Broadband and Revere Telephone Company.
1: Thank goodness Al Gore invented the internet.
0: I mean, every day that goes by, there's the the rosary. And then I'd like, thank you, Al Gore, for the internet, because that was a godsend.
1: Rivnet.com. Rivnet.com. Uh, and, and this is a great place to wrap up, Billy. Um, for people who, I'd love to like ask two questions at the end of an interview as we wind down. Uh, for people who want to maybe dip their toe in the water of becoming more of an experienced company, uh, what would be your uh, best advice, best first step you would tell them to take?
0: Without hesitation, John, I would say to whatever extent possible, try your best to put yourself in the shoes and the skin of your customer. How would you want to experience someone knocking at your door? And I don't. Let, let's let's go back. Let's wind that back. If you have a service request, a service issue, do you want? Your, your technician to be punctual? Do you want your customer service representative on the phone to be pleasant? Do you want it short and sweet? Put yourself in, the, in those shoes and don't be bashful with your customers. Yep. Go ask them. Go ask them. Don't be afraid of the survey, right? They, you know, incentivize people. We're going to give you $5 credit. Do a survey. No, don't do a survey. Pick up the phone and call them. Actually physically reach out to your, physically, hold on now let's not physically reach out to customers that's that's going to be bad advice let's let's physically pick up a phone but on a serious note let's reach out to those customers but step number 1 get in the head of your customers and figure yep. out what is the experience that i would want to have what's my magic wand what's my dreamscape look like and that's a good launching pad of if you can go through and go through that checklist and say am i doing everything that i would want to happen in my own experience, then send, a, send the net out a little bit wider.
1: Awesome. Second question. I love to ask people, what did I forget to ask you or not ask you that you wished I would have? What's a question you wish I would have asked that I didn't? This is I, your opportunity to just shame me publicly.
0: Right. As a As really an incompetent interviewer, and, and podcaster in general, so that, that like you. Yeah, would I feel like
1: your... the uh, what was his name? Zach Galifianakis, the guy who did Between Two Ferns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the awkward interviewer. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Just shame I, like, me. I, shame me. Um, man, I, I wish that I had been better prepared for that question because I really could have come up with something to make you crawl under your desk. Um, the only the only thing that would that would have given giving people a little better perspective is, you know, like to talk about the climate in Rivera, the actual weather. And that, and that to say, I'm, I'm joking, you, you, you hit really good points. And I don't think that we really missed anything for an overview of how do we want the experience to look. And again, the, that, that one point right there is, everybody's experience has to be unique to their industry, has to be unique to their business. There's other people that run other internet service providing telephone companies that are going to have a completely different experience based on their clientele. Does your clientele really want that touchy-feely thing or do they want you to be curt to the point? Do they just want price point and reliable service? So I think if we wanted to, to dive into that lane, John, we could say, allow your experience to be unique. Yep. And don't be afraid if, it's a, if it looks different than what Revere Telephone Company does, what uh, Chin Up, Chest Out does. Everybody's got to have their own. There it is, baby. Um, everybody's got to have their own experience and it's got to be unique to you. There should be and could be some similarities, but I think that the similarity should be, are you putting in the effort that you need to put in to the experience for your customer?
1: Yeah, don't be a copycat. You know, so many right. people say, "Oh, we want to have a, we want our people to have a, our customers have a Ritz Carlton experience." Right.
0: Ritz Carlton already did that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the market yourself, is called. Every every, you know, there's lots of ways to to be a business. There's only one way to be yourself. Remember that. That's uh, and regarding your climate question, uh, fun fact: it was 49 degrees today in Rivera, Texas. It was, it was 44 degrees in Portland, Maine. The yeah. there should the the thermometer should not look that similar ever really shouldn't. between those shouldn't. two cities and states in November,
0: right? Well, that's because of the recession, though.
1: And well, I was gonna say Al Gore again. You know, he predicted this. <laughs> So there you have it. There it is, folks. Go to Rivnet.com. Check out what Billy Colston is doing there, uh, creating an experience company, not just a telecommunications firm. And there is a big difference. Thanks for coming on, Billy. Can't wait to do this again
0: with you. Thank you so much, John. Have a good one. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to
1: turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.